0: Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend
1: and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up. Caleb! JD!
0: I have never, ever gone by that nickname, and I refuse to.
1: Good afternoon, my friend. Well, good afternoon to you, sir. But why is that? JD is cool. Yes, I am arguably not cool, but I'm really excited today. Oh, me too, man. I'm I'm so excited I can barely contain myself. (laughs) We're going to make a pilgrimage. A pipe pilgrimage, if you will.
0: I will. That's right. We are heading to M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. We are Mr. Seventh Grade Spelling Champion. Uh, uh, That's right, except uh, it was for the whole junior high. (laughs) I won for the entire junior high.
1: Well, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) We are finally going to make our pipe pilgrimage to the Country Squire. For those of you who have listened to this podcast in the past, Country Squire Radio is our all-time favorite podcast It's all about that pipe smoking lifestyle Mm -hmm. for listeners of the show, making it down to John David's legendary tobacco shop, the country squire. It's sort of a, a pilgrimage. It's it's kind of a big deal.
0: I think it's something that we are possibly building up far too much for John David's comfort.
1: Well, you know what? If he, I I don't think he listens to podcasts, not even his own. But if he is, uh, I hope we're not building it up too much. Well, heck, we're going to be down there before he hears this anyway, so (laughs) we're going to have a magical
0: experience.
1: We've tried their products. I don't think they could possibly disappoint us. You know, we we went to some other historic pipe tobacco locations that, on the surface, were a little bit disappointing. It could be that our
0: our hopes were just too high for those. So we need to temper them. I think temper those expectations.
1: I think it's going to be fun. I mean, there there's there's a lot of reasons we're going to have fun for sure. No, it's going to be awesome. We get to be in the car for over
0: 12 hours together.
1: I know, right? I mean, hopefully we'll still be
0: friends when we get back. (laughs) We shall see. uh, But we're also planning on checking out the Cathead Distillery in Jackson while we're there. So hopefully we'll have some cool stuff to share with our listeners when we get back.
1: Yeah, uh, we're going to try to make that work. I don't know where they're at with all the COVID regulations and all that kind of stuff. It seems like they're kind of uh, in flux uh, as things change pretty quickly here. But uh, we're going to give it a try. And man, I I feel like uh, Jackson, Mississippi is going to be fun. The trip down is going to be fun. But let's not wait until the weekend to get the fun started, man. We, we have a good show lined up for today, don't we? Today's all about fun, Caleb. <laughs>
0: uh, we are drinking Long Island iced tea, and we're talking about how to generate multiple streams of income and uh, how valuable that is in your, in your financial plan.
1: Yeah, Long Island iced teas are fun. It's like <laughs> a garbage can of fun. Uh, yes,
0: yes, we'll get into that some more.
1: <laughs> it should be a good one, man. You know, the Long Island Iced Tea, based on the recipes that we used, takes five different spirits to mix up a Long Island Iced Tea. So we're going to focus on mixing up five different streams of income today.
0: Yeah, I, I hope that that sounds interesting. I have to say that this concoction that we are consuming is also interesting.
1: Tell me, Caleb, what do you think about the Long Island Iced Tea? Or what do you know about it? Well, what do I think? I think that the Long Island iced tea, my experience, I really haven't had a whole lot of them. I can think of, you know, you know maybe one or two that I've had uh, before this episode. I feel like a lot of people who are starting out with cocktails go with the Long Island iced tea because most people like iced tea. It sounds non-threatening. Yeah. And then, boy, that thing will sneak up on you if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, like a Long Islander, I, yeah. I assume. I, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well okay so that's how i feel about it i guess what i know about the long island iced tea not much more but like <laughs> most cocktails there's some controversy that goes along with this one regarding the origins of the drink many credit a man called old man bishop and you guessed it the 1920s the prohibition times oh yes and then in the early 1960s a recipe showed up in a betty crocker cookbook of you all get out of here yeah, Betty Crocker, mixing up some drinks, man. <laughs> hey,
0: her coffee cake recipe in the old-timey Betty Crocker cookbook from the 60s is wild. Triple yeah. that streusel rec- recipe, and you got yourself a coffee cake.
1: I've had it. Uh, imagine flipping you know, to the, the coffee cake recipe and then the Long Island recipe and uh, consuming <laughs> that on a, I don't know, <laughs> weekend morning. <laughs> Good for Betty Crocker, though. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have expected that to be... <laughs> <laughs> in the Betty Crocker cookbook alongside, you know, <laughs> chicken and dumplings and all that stuff. Um, but anyway, the story gets interesting when a guy named Robert Butt or Bob Butt, no kidding, who claims that he invented this drink or the Long Island iced tea as we know it in a cocktail contest uh, back in 1972. All right. And, and he says this on his website, which is actually kind of hard to find now, but I, I had to <laughs> I had to find it had to see what Bob Butt said about the Long Island iced tea. He says the world-famous Long Island iced tea was first invented in 1972 by me, Robert Butt. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't get old. (laughs) While I was tending bar at the infamous Oak Beach Inn, I participated in a cocktail creating contest, and triple sec had to be included. So that was the only criteria. Make a drink (laughs) with triple sec. Let's throw everything else in there. (laughs) So he basically says the bottle started flying. My concoction was an immediate hit and quickly became the house drink at the Oak Beach Inn. By the mid-1970s, every bar on Long Island was serving up this innocent-looking cocktail. And by the 1980s, it was known the world over. It is innocent-looking, isn't it, Jason?
0: I'd say it's innocent-looking. It looks like an iced tea. And it turns out that's just because of a little splash of cola to disguise it. That's a lot of clear liquors, Caleb, that go into that. It'll sneak up on you. I have a little bit of a little bit of writing that I perused about it, too. That was good to go right to the horse's mouth. This (laughs) self-proclaimed inventor of the Long Island iced tea, Mr. Bob Butt. I consulted David Wondrich about this because I really like the way that he writes about drinking. And if you if you guys haven't heard me recommend his book, Imbibe, already, check it out. It is just really fun to read if you are interested in cocktails at all. In his book, he doesn't talk about Long Island iced teas. He does in an article he is quoted when he is asked about them. So I wanted to read the legendary David Wondrich on Long Island Iced Teas. He says, and I quote, it's not the worst drink in existence. (laughs) That's a good start. (laughs) It is, however, strong and trashy. (laughs) basically Long Island Iced Tea it's hard to say Long Island we gotta say it like
1: that Long Island you're, you're really emphasizing the G the Long Island Iced Tea how do you how do you no just say it again say, Long say it like you would Long Island Long Island Long Island I'm gonna alienate a bunch of people but Long Island okay I don't hear a difference we're saying it the same way
0: Long Island <laughs> You all hear that, right? <laughs> the Long Island iced tea is a drink for <laughs> folks who do not take themselves too seriously. So maybe it's appropriate that we're drinking it right now. Oh, yeah. Um, but you got to admit, it's usually ordered by a first timer uh, or a college student, right? Mm-hmm. I think most uh, mixologists would agree that... Here in the 2021s, the Long Island iced tea has fallen out of favor. <laughs> you don't order this when you're trying to impress your friends. It's basically a suicide, right? It, this is this is when you were eight years old and you got to go up to the McDonald's uh, pop dispenser all by yourself. Pop, by the way, we're in uh, Northwest Ohio. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: So <laughs> for those of you who are listening in the eastern U.S., that would be soda. Yeah, soda pop. Uh, some, I'm not sure where they call it. Cola. In Texas, I think they call everything Coke, don't they? It's a, it's
0: a lot of the South. They call everything
1: a Coke. Everything's but a Coke.
0: I'm like, not here to rile anybody up. You guys call it what you want. Enjoy that stuff. Uh, it doesn't matter how nonsensical you are, but we call it pop here. And uh, it's basically you go up there and you get some of that Pepsi and Sprite and Dr. Pepper and Hi-C or whatever. You just put a little of everything in there and you just see what it tastes like. And you're yeah. like, oh, all right,
1: look what I invented, a new flavor. It's it's a Frankenstein drink, sort of. <laughs> yes. Yes. I feel like this should be uh, bomb should be on the end of it don't you think <laughs> <laughs> yeah just to solidify the trashiness of the drink <laughs>
0: well if you guys want to make one at home or you really want to know what's in a Long Island iced tea we'll go through the official IBA recipe we can't settle the the controversy I don't know if miss Mrs.
1: Betty Crocker Ms. oh I, I think she was a uh, I I think she was an honest gal I I don't know <laughs> The lady Betty Crocker, or if it
0: was Bob Butt that made it. Uh, yeah, but, or, uh, old <laughs> or, or Old Man Bishop. Or Old Man Bishop. But the recipe is pretty simple. So basically, you take whatever you got in your liquor cabinet. <laughs> you put a half ounce of tequila, a half ounce vodka, a half ounce white rum, a half ounce of triple sec, a half ounce of gin, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, an ounce of simple syrup, top it with cola. And baby, you got yourself a Long Island iced tea going.
1: Y- yeah. You do. We did, for this one, we substituted triple sec with control, because I think when available, you always substitute <laughs> triple sec with control. The prevailing notions, and we learned that from David Embry's writings,
0: is if you want to make a good cocktail, you need good ingredients. So we tried mm-hmm. to use higher end spirits and then control instead of uh, some other nameless triple sec. I think it was a good choice. So I think we had the best possible Long Island iced tea you can have. And what do you think?
1: You know what? It's not my favorite <laughs> drink in the world, but I don't hate it. I could see it being a really refreshing summer drink when you're outside, you know, the sun is beaten down. I I could see knocking one of these back after mowing the yard or something like that. It's not my favorite. It's okay. Here's my problem with the Long Island iced tea, and I don't want to be all pretentious here,
0: but you have tequila Mm -hmm. and vodka and white rum and triple sec and gin and lemon juice and simple syrup and cola. They're I think I can think of six other drinks you should make instead of a Long Island iced tea <laughs> with those ingredients that are more refreshing or better. That's my only problem with it. It's a It seems like a shock drink to me. You
1: know what? I think when you have a fully stocked liquor cabinet, but maybe you don't have all the mixers, that's when you make a Long Island iced tea. Or if you just have a half ounce left of each of these. Yeah, in every bottle, <laughs> just just what's left over uh, in, in the bottles that, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know me, if you got some bottles of liquor and you got to make a drink, you don't have the mixers. I'm going to always resort to the bourbon neat, but <laughs> I think this is a great drink for if you've got a half ounce left in, in all your bottles <laughs> and you're trying to clear some space in the cupboard for that bottle of Buffalo Trace <laughs> that you found or uh, Weller or, you know, you need to make room for something else. Get Caleb. yourself a Long Island iced tea bomb. Caleb's Have saying, make, make a suicide so you
0: can clear out your space in your liquor cap.
1: <laughs> Don't go crazy. We we just suggest that you enjoy it and enjoy responsibly.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's enough of that. so uh today jason we're also talking about multiple streams of income but before we do let's talk about secrets secrets back in the olden days during the prohibition people had to meet in secret secret to enjoy cocktails and talk about high finance Well, okay, I guess they could talk about high finance (laughs) wherever they wanted. But if they wanted to consume an adult beverage at the same time, they would have to meet in a secret place called a speakeasy. The speakeasy. Which is a secret place for drinking. That's all it is. Speakeasies (laughs) could be at doctor's offices or a general store or pet store or even a Facebook page. Listen up, all you money muddlers. Consider this your
0: formal invitation to our not-so-secret speakeasy Facebook group. We'd like this to be a place where you can imbibe in conversation and camaraderie with other money muddlers like yourself. Share questions, stories, comments, drink recipes and feedback, etc,
1: etc, etc. We will be visiting and mingling quite a bit ourselves. We can't wait to see you there. So, moving on. Moving on. Let's talk about mixing up
0: multiple streams of income as a way to increase the probability that you're able to be financially independent. If you listen or read... Or watch any financial... Media? Yeah, media. Thanks, Caleb. What would I do without you? (laughs) I don't know.
1: (laughs) You probably wouldn't laugh as much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you consume financial media in all those uh, forms, you've probably heard that having multiple streams of income is good. And we agree with that. So we're going to go through them. We've, We've mixed up five streams of income to correlate with the five spirits in the Long Island iced tea. And we'd like to talk
1: about each of those streams in a little bit of uh, detail. Yeah, we certainly have.
0: Well, all right, let's mix it up.
1: Let's <laughs> uh, let's talk about the first of the five streams of income here, Jason. Earned income—that uh, that's one that's easily overlooked because it's the one that you're you're probably doing right now while you're listening to this podcast. This is a really you're at your day This job. is a
0: really <laughs> boring stream of income, Caleb, and not
1: what most people wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, it's boring, but it's also solid. It is probably your your best ticket to achieving wealth. It's your best tool to get out of debt. It's your biggest wealth accumulating asset or wealth producing asset, I should say. Your day job. It's old reliable. I would say, Jason, this is the gin. And don't for a second confuse that with boring. The day job's <laughs> not boring. It's reliable. It's solid. It's always there for you. It's the gin of our Long Island iced tea <laughs> that we're mixing up here. You know I love gin. You love gin. You know what to expect with gin or a gin-based drink. Yeah. But it's kind of like your day job. You know what to expect. You've probably been doing it for a while. Not to say that there aren't surprises along the way, but, you know, no big curveballs, <laughs> right? Or curb balls. Or cur- <laughs> <laughs> Listeners won't get that reference. Uh- <laughs> But yeah,
0: the day job uh, is your primary source of income and it is often overlooked as an area that you can improve on. So since you work there already, it's likely your largest source of income right now. It's the one you're best suited to do because you've probably been doing it for a while. You've got some expertise in there. You should leverage your earned income from your day job first before you get into all other multiple streams of income because it's the one you're you're likeliest to be able to
1: improve. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big thing. It's probably the one that you can make some tweaks and adjustments and maximize your ability to to make more through your day job. So wh- H- how tell us how you could maximize your ability to make more in your day job. Well, There's lots of ways. So, you know, my wife's a teacher. We value education in our house. If you listen to the Stealing Harvard episode, you might have some some feelings about what we talked about there. Education in general, you know, whether it's a designation whether it's de- depending on what industry you're in maybe it's learning about different manufacturing techniques or something like that it could it could be a lot of things in our jobs we've pursued licenses and designations but we are constantly trying to improve and educate ourselves stay ahead of the curve if you will
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Ways to improve income would be education. And I, I think an employer that sees the value in educating you as well and, and helping you improve in that aspect. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's an often overlooked value add that your employer can offer when you're looking to improve your situation uh, at work. That's something to, to check out, whether you're, if you're looking in changing jobs or negotiating for better benefits.
1: Check it out. Yeah. See if you can get smarter there. And, and you know, there's on the job experience, which is probably the best experience. But a lot of employers, too, will offer uh, like tuition reimbursement. You know, if there's a designation that you're pursuing or something like that or a license that you want to obtain, a lot of them are really on board. Because remember, your employer wants you to be better at your job, too. So most of the time they've got a vested interest in helping you improve, helping, you know, yeah. facilitate your education. Now, it doesn't always have to be formal education either. It could be through the form of mentorship. Maybe you really like your day job. Maybe you like what you do and you plan on working there for a long time in addition to adding these streams of income and diversifying your side hustles and things like that. But Mm -hmm. a, a mentorship, I think having someone that comes alongside you that's been in the business for a long time that does it well, I think you could all probably look at someone at your job who it's pretty apparent that Maybe they do it better than the average Joe. So mentorship's a big one. One thing we need to talk about, though, too, which is a little controversial is job changes, Jason.
0: Yeah, I referenced that a little bit. But if 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 you want to increase your income and you're in an industry where your job, you have a lot of options for places to work. Well, you, you and I both came out of banking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about it a lot it seemed like the best way to move up uh, or to make more money in banking was to move, move out change banks <laughs> yeah <laughs> move up to move up you moved out uh, so bring an offer letter in to get a raise or to be willing to take that other job to to move up i think that loyalty is really important uh, to a company it's really it's really important especially if you clients that you serve on a regular basis so i don't want to undervalue that but you do have to look out for your best interest and yeah. if another employer is going to offer you more money or better work life balance or better benefits, it's really worth looking to take in that
1: and and make sure that we aren't nearsighted with this too. I think a lot of times it's really easy to look at another company who's offering more money now. But again, I'm going to go back to the value of education and flexibility, work life balance, all those kinds of things. Put yourself in a position that's going to that you're going to be better off down the road. Mm-hmm. Maybe not just in the next year or two, but five years, ten years. But I, I think another important point that you made there was if you're going to bring an offer letter in. You better be willing to take that job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think we can I think we can do a whole episode on uh, improving your earned income Mm -hmm. and uh, talking about increasing your salary. It's I know it's so stressful to go in and talk to a manager or a boss about getting more money or uh, or that sort of thing. So that definitely deserves some more attention. But that's something you need to look at. And one other thing to bring up on this this income stream is just making life more efficient. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I read Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week. We've talked a lot, about it a lot before. We're not 100% in alignment with his philosophy on life, but yeah. he gives a lot of practical tips on increasing the efficiency of your life, automating things, getting better and better at your primary source of income job so that you spend less time on it or so that you maximize the amount of money on it is really important. So I recommend checking that book out.
1: Yeah. And before we move on from the earned income portion, when we talk about negotiating with a manager, sometimes it's not really in their capacity to give you more money. But a bargaining chip could be well, maybe maybe give me and I'm not saying volunteer for responsibilities that you're not going to get paid for, but it could be taking on something else that's going to put you in a better position, give you job experience or education. Maybe maybe education is the bartering chip there. OK, you can't yeah. give me the raise that I'm looking for. How about you let me pursue this licensure or, or something to that? effect? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Help me make
0: myself more valuable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good for you. It's good for the company. Generally, if your company can't see that, maybe it is time to move on. Jason, we're going to move on to the second one because we could talk all day uh, on earned income <laughs> and ways to improve it. But for those who are doing well with their day job and their earned income, a lot of times the next thing that we think of is the second stream of income, investments. Now, that's a vague term, but explain a, a little bit more in detail what I mean by investments.
0: Well, we're, we're going to talk specifically about investing in securities, which are fungible pieces of financial instruments that can be exchanged really we're, we're talking about was that from wikipedia <laughs> i think investopedia had it i lost it so i was trying to remember it but I, it's it's nice to say fungible you really sound like you know what you're doing like you've got all the uh non-fungible tokens out there now the nfts like yeah. the new version of baseball cards and i felt smart when i realized oh fungible ah, i get it yeah Fun- non-fungible fun-ions. like it's not a real
1: thing <laughs> um but no these are fungible totally fungible you just Which can't touch them by the way I would say is the tequila in this cocktail.
0: Okay, all right, let's keep this going. Uh, the <laughs> tequila uh, if if multiple streams of income are making a long island iced tea of financial independence. Yeah, yeah.
1: The tequila. <laughs> this, it's it's fun, man. It's uh the one you like to talk about with your friends. Uh, we all talk about our day job a little bit, but everyone wants to talk about what their investments are doing. Yeah, let's talk about those investments. It, it adds that extra unique little flavor in there. So the, the tequila in our Long Island iced tea of multiple streams of income here, securities <laughs> investments. Now, yeah, what are the ways that securities investments can improve our income? Well, I don't want to take it for granted, uh, but when you invest
0: in stocks, bonds, and options, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, and the like like that inside your 401k or Roth IRA or your non-qualified brokerage account or what have you, any vehicle that that you can invest those in, um, you can make money several different ways. And one way is if you invest in stocks or a portfolio of stocks, you can get dividends from those companies. Mm -hmm. They may reimburse shareholders by incentivizing them hold more shares to maintain their ownership. It's like a reward from a company. They might pay you a dividend. That's when uh, you hear about dividends being declared or this company, they got a $5 dividend. That's one way that you can you can make money off of owning a different company. Um,
1: yeah. And, and really what we're doing there is we're sharing in the profits with the company, right? You're investing, you own part of that company. And because of that, part of their earnings are going back to shareholders. Um, so, you know, That's what they are. Dividends are basically a a share of the profits in the company. Ways to Mm -hmm. increase dividends. Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with what types of stock you're looking for. I kind of go back to what Dave Ramsey says about the way that you should invest and the different types of investments you should have. This would be like the the dividend pairs, the value, the value part of your portfolio. The growth in income. The growth in income is exact. Yeah, that's what he says. This is
0: an income producing stock.
1: So, yeah, Yeah. stocks. You still have the upside of, uh, you know, uh, growth and things like that available. But it's it's paying you uh, while you're waiting for the growth, too. So... Uh, dividends, by the way, uh, you know, I like to come at things from a tax basis, work that tax, work that tax code. Dividends are not always the most efficient when it comes to taxes. They are typically taxed at your ordinary income tax rates, which Mm -hmm. makes the next way that we can get paid by our investments really appealing for folks who are killing it at their day job. (laughs) Yeah, man, we talk about growth in these. Yeah, go ahead. Cap-
0: I don't want to steal. We're
1: going the same place. I took your thunder, but what are what are capital gains? Take it away, Jason.
0: Growth <laughs> capital <laughs> gains is appreciation, man. It's uh, it's the cool way to talk about, or it's the it's the cool thing about investments. That's what you want. Yeah, you want it. W- it was worth ten dollars, but now it's worth twelve dollars. It was worth twelve dollars, but now it's worth twenty thousand dollars. That's capital gains. That's that's an appreciation in uh, in the investment that you have and. uh Boy, I gotta throw it back to you because uh, that that that's I think that
1: that's pretty simple. It grows. It was worth yeah. something, but now it's worth more. The value of the company that you that you own, it, it's worth more now. People are willing to pay more for a share of ownership in that company because of the growth potential. How to increase that kind of uh, income would be looking for growth opportunities. You know, you're not looking for, and I don't want I want to be careful and not say names here specifically, but you're not paying for companies that are focused on producing current income. You're looking at companies who are looking to grow. Think of like your tech stocks and things like that. Long growth, long-term growth opportunities. I kind of alluded to uh, from a tax standpoint, how this works. From a tax standpoint, your capital gains and realize, folks, we're talking about things outside of the tax shelter that is, you know, your 401k IRAs and all that kind of stuff. But in a taxable brokerage account, short-term and long-term capital gains. So really short-term capital gains, meaning if you bought and sold uh within a year, you're you're gonna pay basically ordinary income rates. But long-term capital gains is where where you can hang on to something for years, make a lot of money, and effectively, you know, depending on where your tax bracket is, pay less in taxes based on set capital gains tax rates. Mm-hmm. Right now there's a 0% capital gains rate. There's a 15% and there's a 20% and there's a lot of speculation about where that could go from here. But <laughs> if you're killing it at work and you're making you're you're making bank and your effective tax rate is thirty eight percent well, maybe you don't want more dividends, but those uh, long term capital gains at you know let's say twenty percent look awful attractive there, and you don't pay them until you sell remember so those are some ways to increase the securities income uh, Jason, I- uh, do you have anything else to add there?
0: yes, an addendum this securities investments is a great passive income stream meaning you don't have to do a whole lot yeah. your earned income income stream one that we talked about you're kind of grinding through it you're working your butt off you're you're putting a lot of blood sweat and tears into that income and you're earning it this is uh, you're I mean you're having to work for it because you're taking your hard-earned money and you're buying in uh, ownership in companies or you're you're lending your money out mm-hmm. through debt uh, in the form of bonds but you're not the one doing the work to make the appreciation happen you're paying a fee or an expense probably in there, but it's nice because this is a passive income. This is why it's so popular to have alongside your earned income. A lot of folks have. So uh, I wanted to throw that out there because the next one we're going to talk about isn't very passive.
1: (laughs) Well, it it can be, but it can be very, very active too. (laughs) The third stream of income we're going to talk about, and this was a common thread going back to our millionaires episode. All of these multiple income streams in general is a common thread with what makes a millionaire. How do they get where they're at? But real estate is the third one we're going to talk about, and that one is super, super popular with uh, the millionaire crowd. Oh yeah, I, I'm going to call this the rum in our Long Island iced tea. Mm, all right, all right, right. Um, yeah, because of the pirates having real estate on uh, <laughs> on
0: islands that they sh- does a the ship count as real estate if you can sleep in it?
1: Uh, you know what? I'm going to punt on that one. I don't know. Come on, tax guy. <laughs> That's not on the EA. That's, that's not one that's come up, <laughs> but uh, you know, rum is uh rum's okay. Does it dip- rum's <laughs> okay for me. Uh when I think about real estate, I think I like the idea of it. Uh as far as getting my hands dirty, uh man, it takes a special kind of person to do real estate investing, doesn't it, Jason? I know some real
0: hardworking people that have made real estate a giant portion of their portfolio. Real estate is an awesome income stream. We talked about capital gains. There's there's appreciation in it. You can get some income off of it if you're renting it. You can use equity in the homes mm-hmm. to advance your your personal. There's just there's a lot of good things about real estate, but man. <laughs> you gotta do you wanna be a landlord or not, is what you gotta think about. Yeah. Like you so
1: we're gonna let's talk about the rental income aspect. Well, there's first. a lot of times I don't want to be a homeowner, let alone a <laughs> landlord. I don't want to fix my own furnace, let alone be responsible for many other people's furnaces. At two o'clock in the morning, most likely. <laughs>
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> so there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Some people are really hands-on with real estate that they own and they want to rent it out. And if it's residential real estate, you rent it out to homeowners or well not well, i guess they're not homeowners right regular people right. that are living there <laughs> <Yeah. Tenets. laughs> Ten, thank you well individuals they're not a business and uh, so you you need to collect that rent that's something that you have to do and you have to take care of those properties and you can do it yourself or you can hire that stuff out obviously if you hire someone out that's going to eat into your profits mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people that i know that do it both ways and you know what most folks that i know that are in real estate are doing pretty well because this is a great income stream that you can have. It's a need that folks have all the time. They need a place to live. They need a place to put their business. Uh, So if you can tap into that, You probably are going to be doing okay.
1: Yeah. If you can put up with the handyman stuff and you don't mind being somewhat on call, you know, some people really like that.
0: Yeah. And I'm
1: I'm not that person. And I'm not (laughs) saying I don't like real estate as an investment. I just don't see myself as someone who owns 20 rental properties down the road. On paper, it can make a ton of sense from a business standpoint. But again, like you said, you have to collect that rent on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You got to pay for when the furnace goes out or the roof needs repaired and and those kinds of things. But, you know, what what makes us so attractive is look at what real estate values have done here over the last couple of years. It's absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. You know, we're getting into not just the the income from rental uh, business, but also capital gains, the value of the property that improves over time.
0: Yeah, this can be said for farm ground. It can be said for like woods, like for Mm timberland, like long term, the appreciation is really good. And if you can generate some income off of that real estate, you're doing doubly well. So it's a great diversifying income stream that you can have. Uh, We didn't talk much about this, but I am not an advocate of using a bunch of debt to get real estate Mm -hmm. uh, just because it adds a lot of risk. However, I know I know people that have used debt to build quite a real estate empire to supplement their earned income and investment portfolio.
1: Yeah, there's some some things, uh, you know, that that could be said about timing and how that's worked out for some people. Because if you look back in history, when the housing market hasn't always been great, that's also broken a lot of people, too. Um, So, you know, I think the amount the amount of leverage is very important there. Do not overextend yourself when you're trying to hustle at these multiple streams of income. But, you know, the other thing we talked about rental income, we talked about appreciation of the values. A lot of a lot of folks don't like to be on call as a landlord, but they get they like the thrill of flipping properties. Um, Yeah. Now that that from a tax standpoint can can (laughs) cost you quite a bit of money. Uh, But, you know, if if you pay taxes, you make money when we look at the capital gains there, we got to look at short-term and long-term, but there's also some ways to defer gains on flipping properties as well. Yeah. Such as the 1031 exchange. Tell me about it, Caleb. Yeah, so basically the 1031 exchange is a way to defer gains that you have on a property, in real estate in particular, by investing in a similar property. So let's say you, you bought a house at a sheriff's sale for $50,000 and you know it's worth more than that and you just happen to have the cash that day that nobody else had to pay for it you go in and you put $25 in uh, improvements into the place and now you got a $150,000 property. Okay, great. Let's say you sell that property and now you got all those gains. Well, you fully intend on continuing to flip properties or rent houses, whatever. You don't necessarily always have to settle up on all those gains. And and that can be especially burdensome if it's short term. But there are ways to continue to defer those gains. Now, you, you don't defer anything forever. It's deferral. But that's another thing that's really attractive about real estate is some flexibility there uh, as far as when you pay taxes on gains of those properties. So so real estate, we think it's a great investment. It can be. I mean, it can be a terrible investment too. We've seen it blow up on a lot of people. (laughs) But like anything else, you got to know something about what you're doing to make it work. And I think you got to be willing to put in the work. It's definitely not that passive Stream of income, <laughs> unless you're starting with a whole bunch of money and you've
0: hired a property manager and a maintenance team and all of that. I guess that's more passive because you're just the guy with the checkbook. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd prefer to do it. I'm just not there. <laughs> you know, my wife and I watched a lot of Fixer Upper. Oh. I I have a theory that Chip and Joanna Gaines have ruined a lot of marriages <laughs> with their with their perfect marriage. I bet they fight <laughs> and their skills. I bet they fight, man. <laughs> We love them. They seem like such cool people. And then, we, of course, we thought we could do that stuff, too. So uh, we got a her upper. And I I learned a lot about myself. And, and, you know, the house is all right. My wife
1: loves it. Um, but I don't ever want to do that again. You fool. You did that on a dare. <laughs> I did that's for that's for another time we'll get into that one
0: I am too handy Joe
1: <laughs> handier than I am let's talk about something fun Jason the fourth stream of income that we've identified here is the side hustle this side hustle this is nebulous yeah this is a fun one to talk about I I put uh triple sec uh or I assigned triple sec as the side hustle yeah uh, in our long yeah. island here uh I like it's that. fun to talk about it adds a little bit of flavor How the heck do you go about adding a side hustle, Jason? Oh, boy. Really, I think for side hustles, there's a couple categories.
0: One is something that you really like doing that you'd like to make some money from. Mm -hmm. Another is you really need to make money. So you're doing the thing that makes money. So that second category is what a lot of people are in when they're trying to get out of debt. Yeah. They're really trying to move the needle or, or really put the pedal to the metal with getting financially independent. That'd be like delivering pizzas. That'd be like Uber uh, driving. Uber driving. Yeah. Hey, Jinx. <laughs> same. same. <laughs> uh, so buying and selling stuff, maybe uh, if you've got a knack for that sort of thing, could fall into to either either of those if you really like it. Um, so that's how I like to, to split it up. So a side hustle is really just something that you can make money on yeah. fairly guaranteed. And it might not be a lot of money.
1: Well, when you say fairly guaranteed, really, if you think about it, like pizza delivery, Uber driving, that sounds kind of boring. But when you talk about the hobby stuff, that's where I really get excited. Oh, yeah. You say it's almost guaranteed to make money. I'm not saying every hobby you can make money, but you probably, if you love it, you probably know a lot about it. Yeah, that's true. And you can probably turn that into a way to make money. Some examples of that, a couple of my (laughs) brothers-in-law have side hustles. Brother-in-laws. Brothers-in-law. Brothers-in-laws. They're my brothers-in-law. They're my brothers. If they're listening, they're my brothers. That's the way that's the way I look at it, man. Anyway, I get it. I think it's really cool what they've done. They have good jobs, but they also have these hobbies that they really love. And they they think, well, why not make money at it while I'm doing it? Yeah, they take some of the profits and they reinvest that back into the hobby uh, to buy things that they normally couldn't account for in the budget. But they also can't help but make money at it because they love doing what they're doing. So, yeah, uh, for one, for two, actually, it's selling old movie posters yeah, um, they're big movie fans. And, you know, they basically just they've acquired movie posters from theaters over the years, auctions, ads on Craigslist and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, maybe they they found some movie that they don't really care for. That's worth a ton of money. They make a few hundred dollars on that and buy something they want. But, you know, they're adding thousands of dollars a month sometimes in side hustle income and love every minute of it. Another one liked going to auctions and likes antiques. Now, that's all he does is sell antiques. He's got a good eBay business. The side hustles in my genetics, man. So sorry if I, oh, I yeah. take this no. over. I grew up on the farm, and my dad, my uncle, my brother, my grandpa, they're all in the farm business. But whenever they're not super busy with farm stuff, they buy farm equipment that they see, you know, that's basically being sold at a, a discount, and they sell it to somebody halfway across the United States, make a little bit of money, and have fun doing it. So, in some cases that's turned into just as much income as their day job. You know me. I yeah, I like these things behind me.
0: <laughs> that gets me so excited, Caleb, when you talk about it like stuff that you're passionate about it. Yeah, because I know you. I you've got guitars and amps and musical equipment that you're net positive on because of your wheeling and dealing, just because you're always looking. I've got thousand dollars guitars that I have nothing invested in. Right. And uh, so but when you, when someone can turn their side hustle into a full time job, a lot of times the uh, uh, that that tarnishes that, you know, the shine kind of wears off when you have to do it. Yeah. But when it's when it's something that is making a lot of money or a decent amount of money and you really enjoy it. That is so cool because it's improving you financially. It's improving your quality of life. You're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. That gets me pumped. I get really excited when people have stuff like that going on.
1: That's why it's the triple sec. That's the most fun ingredient in this
0: one. <laughs> it's the only tasty <laughs> one. So,
1: All right. I hate to end on this note, Jason. We're going to go to one that uh, is a little bit more boring to talk about here, and that's interest. <laughs> this is not boring. Well, I have assigned this vodka.
0: Well... If it is a corn based vodka, I'll allow it. And it doesn't need to be super boring because basically it's moonshine.
1: That's true. (laughs) That's true. Vodka is my least favorite ingredient. Honestly, interest is probably my least favorite to talk about whenever we're we're looking at side hustles, we're looking at real estate investment, all these fun, multiple streams of income. Interest is, I don't know, it's pretty bland in the mix, don't you think? Right now, when interest <laughs> rates are so low, it is hard to be pumped about interest
0: as a an, a, as an income stream that matters. Because when you think about interest generating devices, mm-hmm. what are they? They're your your bank accounts. Yeah, they're, check-ins accounts,
1: savings accounts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, money markets checkings. accounts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you're lending out money right now too, interest rates are really low. So you're not getting a huge return on it. You're doing your certificates of deposits accounts. Yeah. And Exciting. You're, getting an, you're getting interest credited back. Right now, those aren't really high. We had to include it because it is such a, a popular uh, method of, of generating income. So there's still tons of conservative folks out there that have hundreds of thousands of dollars, large percents of their net worth, locked into CDs yeah. or they're using it they're using that money to lend money to family or or you know that sort of thing.
1: So, yeah, that's why we had to include it. Well, at at the end of the day though, you have to everybody needs an emergency fund, everybody needs some cash on hand, you know, rather than stuffing it in coffee cans and burying it in the yard, your checking, savings CDs are still going to yield a little bit better than that and the bottom line is you need it to be there when you need it. So, you know, you're not going to dump it into a rental property. You're not going to dump that into the stock market if you you may need access in three to six months. That's probably not a wise thing to do. So it might be a little more plain vanilla and boring, in my opinion, but it is still necessary. If you
0: are uh, trying to get some interest rate return, the best way to do that is to uh, to look into lending the money, personal loaning, personally loaning money to folks Oh, there's a lot of groups online that you can do that with. Actually, some are really cool where you can like crowdfund uh-huh. uh, and lend money. Uh, you could look into that. I'm not really an ad- advocate for any of those. Like if you're if you're invested, invested with quotation marks in your money market account or a CD, it's not really invested like you that money is there to keep it liquid. Yeah. And if the money needs to be liquid because it's it's for a sinking fund or an emergency fund, then don't worry about what your rate is on it. That's all there is to it there. Yeah. Um, but if you're trying to invest it, maybe check out one of the other
1: income streams.
0: Hey, man, that we've talked it's about. It's the
1: vodka and the drink. It's the necessary evil.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is it necessary, though? Yeah, I'd argue that it. we
1: could we could do without that one and <laughs> we could do without the vodka. So. <laughs> well, Jason, we discussed a lot of really great stuff today. I had fun, but let's distill it down a little bit for our, our listeners. If we could bullet point or summarize for folks out there, how would we summarize the conversation today?
0: Yeah, let's distill that down to the five income streams we talked about. We talked about your earned income from your day job. We talked about investing in securities. We talked about real estate, a side hustle. And interest. Interest. So <laughs> interest. don't overlook your earned income as a stream of income. Really work on uh, what your strengths are. Maybe if you've got a passionate side hustle, throw some time into that because you're not going to regret it. If you love real estate, do it. Investing in securities, I am an advocate for uh, almost anyone just because it is passive. Mm -hmm. You do have to usually purchase someone else's expertise to be able to do that well. And so I'm an advocate of finding a really good financial advisor to help you with that or just doing a whole bunch of research because it is really interesting uh, and getting down into that. But if you focus on these five areas, income streams, you should be doing pretty well. You've diversified your risk. You have hopefully increased enjoyment and not increase your stress too much? Because basically, you got five jobs going here.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. Sometimes that one earned income is enough from a stress level. But, you know, the bottom line is there are ways to maximize all of these and probably do a better job. Uh, you know, whether you're employing one of these or two or three or four or all of them, there's probably some better ways to go about it and improve that. And, you know, I, I think uh, when when we look at some of these, uh, maybe your earned income Uh, that your day job isn't what you want to do long-term, a way to find out if you might want to do something else is pick it up as a side hustle. Maybe you think you want to be a real estate mogul. Try with one rental property first. See how it goes. (laughs) Yeah, I guess to put a bow on it, maximize these different streams of income, keep your money working for you, whether you're at work or not. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. At that. Okay, Jason. Well, it's time for you know what? Questions straight up. Okay, so this guy wants to be anonymous. It's J, the letter J. J asks, hey, I'm 35 years old, and I just listened to the Millionaire's episode. It seems like I'm probably going to need to be a millionaire at minimum to retire, so how much do I really need? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question, J. Caleb, what's the specific answer for J? Do you remember those commercials? I think they were, I don't even want to say the company's name. The What's Your Number, you remember those? No, no. Oh, it had people walking through the park and all that kind of stuff. And there was a little orange number floating above their head. Like, what was the number that you got to come up with to be retired? Well, I hate to punt on this and say it depends, but it really just, uh, it depends. (laughs) Depends on if you're going to be receiving social security income. It depends on if you have a pension available. It depends on if you've got retirement savings. I would tell you this. It would appear if you're 35 years old and uh, we're, you know, in that age range. Uh, it would appear that if we want to retire someday, we probably will have to be millionaires. But some things that make those retirement goals a little easier, we're talking about educated guesses if we're looking 30 to 40 years out. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Uh, yeah, it's really all guessing. I always joke with folks, if you can tell me exactly when you're going to die, yeah, exactly how much money you're going to spend, I'll tell you
1: exactly how much money to save. Oh, we could we could plan it down to the penny if we had all that information, but we're not privy to that usually. no. I think that uh, there are some things that you can do along the way to to put yourself in a good position. One is don't accumulate a bunch of unnecessary debt. You know, I I always say when we meet with folks that are approaching retirement, you know, when we we get a look at their income, their assets and all that kind of stuff and liabilities, the ones that are easier to plan for, the ones that aren't chipping away at debt service every month, especially in retirement, Mm -hmm. because it's harder to generate income in retirement. So I think focus on the things you can control right now. Keep debt low if you can. Work on paying off any debt that you have. Make sure that you're maximizing any free money that you uh, have available in a 401k through a match. None of this stuff is really any different than what we've already talked about in in different podcasts, but maximize your tax deferral, your tax-free investments. and and I think debt is really, really big. Focus on the things that you can control now. The earlier you have a budget, the better off you're going to be. And Honestly, the more realistic your budget is going to be when you get to that retirement age and you say, I need X amount to live off of. If you've never budgeted, the truth is you have no idea what you need to live off of. So,
0: (laughs) Yeah, your expenses matter a whole lot at retirement. You know what's funny though is I usually will tell people, it almost always works out. If you save 15% of your gross income and invest it broadly diversified in fairly aggressive growth investments, Mm -hmm. usually the math works out okay. And uh, you're going to, you know, if you if you target eight to 12 percent returns over 30 years as a 35 year old and you're doing 15 percent of your gross income, uh, you'll probably be all right Yeah. now that there's so many variables that it's it's almost worthless to say that. But I've just having modeled hundreds of other people's financial plans that. I, I use that as a rule of thumb. I stole it from Dave Ramsey from 15 years ago. And I'm like, wow, this almost always works out. <laughs> like this is this is enough. That's so that's a good number. 15% of your gross income. Save it for the period of time until you feel like you can retire and you'll probably be all right. Now
1: that that sounds like a huge number, especially if you're not saving anything right now. Yeah. I tell people too, if you have a 401k or anything like that, anything that you can set it on autopilot, maybe you're, maybe you're contributing 5% right now. For most of those 401ks out there, you can set something that bumps that number 1% every year, 2% every year. Honestly, you're not even going to notice it. And next thing you know, you're contributing 15%. We would also be remiss if we didn't reference back to all the way back to this episode. <laughs> Rewind. And say, explore multiple streams of income. Yeah. Social security might not be enough. Pensions might not be around. Um, if you're just focusing on your um, your investment portfolio, you know, I don't know. It depends on how well you saved. So explore those multiple streams of income control the things you can control.
0: Get a real financial planner to help you detail this stuff because it's a, it's really complicated. That's
1: why we have jobs. That's right. All right. So, Jason, this is the part of the show when we invite our listeners to speak easy about whatever's on their mind. This is a great place to share a recipe or a story or any thoughts, questions, and emotional outbursts that you might have. Jason, did anything come into the speakeasy this week? Yeah, a
0: lot. Uh, I really appreciate all the feedback we're getting from our listeners. Uh, We've got quite a few to roll through here. So I'm going to start with Steve. Uh, Steve says, I really enjoyed the Social Security episode. I never think about Social Security or sidecars, and it got me thinking about both. I like how you guys can go from joking around and acting like horses at (laughs) Uh, horses and then get serious and sound
1: like you know what you're talking about. Thanks, Steve. I think. Jeez. Yeah, uh, <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. We do act <laughs> like horses sometimes. All right. Uh, hey, there's, there's some more here, so I'll, I'll take the next one. Yeah. Cassie says, this episode about millionaires was absolutely fascinating. I won't say it's step-by-step instructions to strike it rich, but it's pretty close. It's got me wondering how many stealth millionaires I already know.
0: <laughs> thanks cassie you've been a great supporter of this show from the early days and we really appreciate all your feedback uh, and you're promoting the show thank you thanks and uh i got another one here from austin uh we're in a perpetual feedback loop because he said <laughs> just got done with the last episode and i feel famous thanks for the shout out well here i am austin shouting out you're you shout thanking out. me for getting shouted out <laughs> thanks for listening to the show austin we really appreciate it good
1: stuff there's another one here, Jason. Keep going. Keep them coming. I love it. Nate says, another great episode. I've been enjoying listening to you guys. Here's a thought for an episode. What should a 30 to 50 something be uh, need to be doing to get to financial freedom? Keep up the good work. Hey, Nate also says, or maybe another
0: Nate possibly. Uh, who many Who knows how many Nates we have listening? All of the Nates. This Nate says, another good podcast about life insurance. This is great stuff. My redacted always argues about term <laughs> he thinks my wife and i need either whole or universal because term insurance is just renting i disagree thanks for the podcast maybe
1: i should have redacted listen to this thanks you should and we agree with you nothing wrong with renting by the way that's right <laughs> uh one last one i think here comes from serena she says i love listening two of my favorite subjects finance and cocktails Oh boy, do we have a podcast for you! <laughs> hey, that's our target demographic. <laughs> Definitely have loved adding it to my podcast lineup. Cheers! Thank you, Serena. That means a lot. We're glad that we could fill up some of your time with two of your favorite subjects. Absolutely. I, who knew that people actually had these as two of their favorite subjects? We were thinking about Serena when we uh, we decided to come up with this podcast. <laughs> apparently, so anything else to add, there, Chief? <laughs> No, I'm just so grateful that people are uh, being uh,
0: forthright with their feedback for this show. Hopefully they keep their questions coming. All of you, Nate, Austin, Serena, Cassie, Steve, the rest,
1: join the speakeasy. It's on Facebook. Yeah, we'd have a lot of fun interacting with you. Keep the feedback coming. We love it. Make sure to share the show as our listener base grows, the feedback grows. It's more fun. The more interactive this is, the more fun we all have. So, Oh, absolutely. Jason, I think it's about that time. So thanks for having a drink with us this week. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or topic you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance Podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's BlueJayFG.com and produced by Pottery Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs)
0: Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by BlueJay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of BlueJay unless otherwise specifically cited.